What should our focus be on as we finish this year and head into a brand new year? Of course, we've got another Sunday to do that. I firmly believe that uh, if we anchor ourselves in, in this book, we'll be the better for it. And this is what I'm going to share with you tonight from Second Peter, Second Timothy, rather. Second Timothy. Uh, this is Paul's last correspondence with anyone, and he knows it. Chapter 4 is, uh, is that pivotal moment when he really openly says, well, I'm about, I'm about finished. Um, I know I'm facing execution. So it's one of those things that's kind of like Jesus talking to his disciples right at the end. And what he has to say to the disciples when he has said, you know, this is it. Uh, I'm not going to be with you on a consistent basis anymore. They had the few appearances, a handful of appearances. He didn't appear to them very many times after his resurrection. But that last setting at the Last Supper was where he talks to them and tries to prepare them. <clears throat> and, and he's giving them the most important thing that he can give them. And that's the assurance that he's not going to leave them without help. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send someone to be like me, who will be with you constantly, not just be with you, but will be in you. And so he reserves the most important things for that setting because he knows, and he's trying to get them ready for that. Well, I think you can say the same thing about Paul. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's leaned on him throughout his ministry. If he has a question, if he has a struggle, you know, he leans on Paul's advice. Paul is his, his counselor, his mentor. And uh, now this is it. And he got, has a second letter that he writes to Timothy. And uh, it's very familiar. But we're going to start in chapter 3 as it heads into chapter 4. And uh, focus, just, just read along with me if you've got 2 Timothy 3. Because it's interesting how he, he introduces this section. It's kind of like, but mark this, I think maybe it says, know this or realize this, that there will be terrible times in the last days. That's an encouraging thought, isn't it? But listen to what he says in the next few sentences. People will be lovers of themselves lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Now what's with this warning? This is his last letter to Timothy. And in it, right as he's about to get to the most important thing he's going to say to him, he says, let me, let me get you to realize something. That in the last days, there's going to be terrible things happening. Now, let me ask you this. Was he, was he prophesying 
our time or was he dealing with their time? You realize the last days was officially on when the Holy Spirit was promised that he would be poured out, right? As Joel said in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon flesh, your sons and daughters. And then Peter says, hey, that prophecy's been fulfilled right here, right here, right now. So he's, he's telling what's going to happen even as they were living that life right then and that it'll, it'll be characteristic of the last days until Jesus comes. And what about all of those people? Why is this a danger to Timothy? A danger to the point that he says, have nothing to do with these people. Don't have any relationship with these kind of people. Why would that be a danger to Timothy, of all people? You know, uh, Eugene Peterson uh, says it like this. I like to see how he pins it. Why are these people this way? What's wrong with them? Why are people like this? What's going on? Is this an increase of evil or... Why are these conditions prevalent? This is what uh, he says. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous appearance, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, how about that, addicted to lust and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. Stay clear of these people. This is how they got to the point. In in verse 6, Paul uses an example that happens in Moses' day. Now, Moses was way before this time, about 1,500 years before this time. And he goes all the way back to something that happened in Moses' day to say, this is what happened to Moses, and this is why these people are like this. And he's about to tell you why they're like this. It's almost subtle, but if you look closely, he he gives us the alert as what is going on here. Well, Well, we say, well, that's sin and that's evil. But why do people go that way? Are all sinners, before they come to the Lord, disobedient to parents? Are there high moral people who are, simply don't have Jesus in their life? Yeah, there's some good people. There's some very good people. They're not any of this. They're not lustful. They're not... They're, they're, they keep their vows in their marriage. They are, are good parents. They're hard workers. They're not, none of these words describe everybody, but he says there's people like this, and there's a reason why these people are like this. And he's about to tell him. In verse 6, he said, They are the kind who worm their way 
into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge or a knowledge of the truth. You want to underline that. Not able to come to a knowledge of the truth. As Janies and Jambres oppose Moses, he just gives this brief little picture into something Moses dealt with with these two people. He says, as Moses dealt with these kind of people, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They oppose the truth. They not only have not come to a knowledge of the truth, when truth is presented, they oppose it. And he says this, they are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, Janus and Jambres, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, he doesn't say that gullible women are the cause of this. You know, you can like, well, that's kind of a sexist statement, wasn't it? But he says they are the target. These people target those who are vulnerable. You know, people give me stuff to read all the time. Maybe not all the time. That's kind of a hyperbole there. A lot of times people give me a book to read. I can't read all the books I got. But I'm like going to a buffet. I think I can. <laughs> and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm going to get there. I may have to have somebody read them to me when I might not be able to see. But there's, here's, here's when I look at a book and when someone gives me a book, I look at who endorses it. And if I see certain names on the endorsement, I don't read it. It's a waste of time. They're going to be out in left field somewhere. I mean, I can just see, I had someone give me a book one time in their home. It's going to correct my philosophy on politics. Handing me a book, I looked at the, the, I'm not going to tell you what it said on the cover. And I looked at it and it says, if you want to know what's really going on, you read that. And I turned it around and, and the author of the book was a contributor to Salon Magazine. And I saw that and says, you know who wrote this? These were people in the church. I said, you know who wrote this? No, it says, Salon Magazine. Boy, what's that? I says, that is, that is an ungodly publication. You going to believe what these people said? No, thank you. You can read it. And of course, they kind of, whoa, whoa, okay. And this is it. When people want to believe something, it doesn't matter what source it is. They wanted to be the worst of certain people, and they wrote it. I said, I wouldn't trust them no more. I can throw this house. I'm not going to waste my time reading ideologues who, can, who cannot process truth and don't want to know the truth. 
And this is what he's dealing with. He's dealing with not just the truth. Truth, it says, oh, Lord, help me to know the truth. That's a good prayer, but we ought to be saying, Lord, help me to be alert to that that masquerades as the truth but isn't. And things that depends on people's, um, you know, people who have dreams, they can have visions, they can, they can go to heaven and come back. That doesn't mean that whatever they share is equal to Scripture. And that dreams are not equal to Scripture. I do believe God gives people prophetic dreams. I've, I've had people share dreams, and I said, that's, a, that's a, absolutely a message from God. How can I say that? Because it fits this. This is, this is the litmus test. If it gets into really kind of spooky stuff, you know, we ought to, we ought to have some kind of a red flash going on in our head. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Put the brakes on. Before you consume this, does this sound right? Does this sound right? It might be spectacular, <laughs> but does it sound right? according to your knowledge of, of the scriptures. So here he's talking to, to Timothy, and he's warning Timothy of these. Why Timothy? Because he knows Timothy's going to deal with it after he's gone. He's going to have to deal with it. Here's the catch. In verse 7 it says, Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The people Paul described in these first five verses are basically deceived people. They're misguided. They are locked into darkness. And the reason why they're misguided and locked in darkness, they're absent of the truth. Truth hasn't penetrated their life. And the whole reason that what is going on with all of this disobedient to parents and all the self-absorbed people and, and, and anybody can become self-absorbed. It's, it's a, what about me? What about my happiness? What about my joy? And we, if we start from there, we're going to go down the wrong road. Because it's not about, what about my happiness? What about my joy? It's what about God's purpose? What about God's will? Can you absolutely say that God's will is for me to do this? And whatever it is. And this is the truth that he's talking about. He says, these people are absent, have an absence of the truth. You see, deception steps in where there's a vacuum of truth. If you don't know truth about a certain thing, you're going to be vulnerable to deception. And I'm amazed, I'm utterly amazed how people read or hear something or see something on television and believe it. You know, my daughter says to me way back when she was still at home and something comes on, and, and I'm, I talk to the television a lot. And I said something, she says, Daddy, do you have to have an opinion about everything? I said, no, but I love doing it. I don't have to, but I'm just like, oh, that's stupid. That's wrong. That's a lie. That's not, that didn't happen. No. But there's some people, if they hear it, or if it's, a, if it's a, on social media, it's, it's true. 
How many times people have sent me something and I just go to Snoop's to see if it's true? It's not true. It's not true. I told the staff something this morning. I said, you know what? I, uh, the messages I get about, if you love Jesus, uh, hold this and copy it and send it to 10 people. And, and I said, oh, don't send me that. And I don't say anything to people about that. So see, I'm not identifying anybody. Right now, I'm not identifying anybody. I'm just saying. But I want to say, if you love Jesus, didn't I say this instead? If you love Jesus, if you love Jesus, tithe. Anybody can copy and paste. <laughs> tithe. Anybody can copy and paste. Me copy and pasting has nothing to do with me loving Jesus. I love Jesus before there was Facebook. I know that's hard for people to believe. But before there was social media, I didn't have to do anything to prove that I love Jesus. And I'm not going to start now. I'm sorry. Do not send me those things. I don't say that to people. I just kindly ignore it. Paul writes next. What Paul writes next, starting in verse 10, what he writes next is a two-pronged explanation about how you can deal with stuff. This kind of stuff. How truth works. And he first reflects on his own life. This is very interesting that he does this. Look what he says in verse 10. You, however, talking to Timothy, you, Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. He's a little bit singing his own praise there, isn't he? But, he, but he's not really. He's just like, you watched me. You watched me, and you knew that it was not about me. I, I never did ministry when it was about me. And you followed him in those missionary journeys when he was beaten up, and he still went on to the next town and preached. He didn't say, these people don't want me to be here, so I'm out of here. If it was about him, he would have packed up and left. He would have said, Let's stop this mission trip. People don't appreciate us. Oh, we'll just go home. And if they don't want to know God, they don't want to know God. That's, and he's telling him, says, you remember how I lived my life, my faith, my patience. And then in verse 11, he says, and persecutions and sufferings. He said, it cost me something to do what I was doing. And so how did he respond to that? What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra? The persecution, persecutions I endured, let the, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. He was telling Timothy, Timothy, do you think maybe he was just letting Timothy know, you're going to have some tough places, buddy. You're going you're to face opposition. And you saw me face opposition but the Lord came through every single time. And he's, and he's telling Timothy, and he's going to do that for you. He's going to do that for you if you stay away from those people that will lead you down the wrong path. Stay clear of people who don't live that way. 
preach the gospel to them, but do not fellowship with them. Don't hang out with them because they're going to lead you down the wrong path. But then he directs Timothy to his own life. And this is where I just want to zero in on something tonight to share with you about what should be our focus as we finish this year up and we head into 2018. What what can we make a firm decision as our focus? He says, but as for you, he, here he is. He, he, this is verse 14. He goes to Timothy. He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You can trust those who've taught you and have lived it. And he's actually referring to himself. He says, you just hang in with what you've learned, especially knowing who you learned it from. If there's anybody that could tell people to do ministry for the sake of the glory of God and not for personal comfort, it's Paul. It's Paul. He's about to be beheaded. And he's taking the opportunity to write his last letter not to complain about the injustice of it all, but to get his young man, that's his friend, his, his student, his pupil, ready for when his day comes and not give in to the pressures around him. You know, Paul didn't say, I'm filing a lawsuit against the Roman government for improper arrest. That's what we do today. We, we go to legal action. But he, he, do, he wasn't going there. He says, listen, Timothy, this is an honor for us to face these things. It's an honor for us to live for God in the crucibles of life. But he still hasn't touched on what's going to anchor Timothy. Not yet, but he gets there. He says, for from the infancy, from infancy. Now, I don't know how quick a learner Timothy was as a baby, but... Infancy, that's a pretty smart child. I'm sure that infancy might mean toddler. (laughs) But he's just saying, from early life, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Here we go. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The very opposite of deception in not knowing the truth is being wise in knowing the truth. And he says, the Holy Scriptures is your source of wisdom. And the Holy Scriptures are your source of truth. And he says this, all Scripture is God-breathed, and that's literally the translation, is God-inspired, but it actually means that all Scripture is like God breathing out this message, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the servant of God, Timothy and everybody else who's handling the word of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy's history was one of sustained knowledge of scripture. And he uses the word make you wise for salvation through faith 
in Christ Jesus. The knowledge of Scripture leads to the path of truth, and that leads to faith, and that leads to salvation. Here's the key. All Scripture, all Scripture, this is, the New Testament wasn't even gathered together yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. All Scripture is inspired of God. It's the power of truth. Why is this the emphasis? Well, Paul's about to finish his course, finish his race. And Timothy has to continue his race. And Paul has given him counsel and given him advice because of false teaching and reckless living is all around him. Um, somebody gave me uh, different things. Boy, I, we just got some really neat Christmas gifts. But one of the gifts that someone gave me was a DVD of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Well, I fired that thing up real quick. And it just, it was great. I have his book, Lectures to My Students, and, and some things that I've read about him. I've got a book of his sermons, and, you know, D.L. Moody, him and D.L. Moody were contemporaries. They died not many years apart from each other, and they knew each other. Charles Haddon Spurgeon started pastoring his first church when he was 17 years of age. And he was only saved a year. He was only saved a year. But he threw himself into teaching a Sunday school class with kids. And pretty soon adults started attending his class because it was so good. And this little country church says, would you be the pastor? And it actually was in like a cottage. It was like just maybe 15 people. And he shared a message around a dinner table. And that evolved into him being actually the pastor of that little church. And I guess people started hearing about him in a prominent Baptist church in London. A few years later, sent him a letter asking him to come and preach. Never went to Bible college. But if you read his, if you read any of his sermons, and you can, I think probably... Uh, version has maybe some of Spurgeon's stuff on there. You can check out, or you can just go online, Charles Spurgeon's sermons, because he, he was just like, his wife would write out the sermons, and they'd make leaflets, and the people in London would just consume it. The most he ever preached to was in a palace cathedral. It was a, like a, a grand hall. It wasn't a church. 24,000 people largest crowd, but his church just, they'd pack it out and carriages and horses and everything. This is in the 1850s. 1850s, he's he's just catapulted into this celebrity status. Guy has had zero education in a Bible college, but a passion for God and a unique capacity to communicate it. And through all of that, people got saved. They would come from miles to hear and preach. And during the same time, think about this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon catapulted into notoriety. There was another Charles in England that in the 1850s was catapulted into notoriety for a whole different reason. Charles Darwin. 
and evolution. And here's what happened. Evolution and German higher criticism, which is another word for people just attacking theologians, attacking the veracity of scriptures and saying Moses didn't write all five books of the Pentateuch. They were like four different people who wrote, and they're just tearing down the scripture. And there stood a preacher who had zero education standing in the pulpit declaring this book is absolutely trustworthy and refused to move off that message, and, the, and people flocked to that church and flocked to truth. And I think today people are hungry for truth. I think people want to know the truth because there's, according to what Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's liberty in the truth. So... I just want to, and by the way, be in prayer for my other half. She is having to stay close to a bathroom that developed today, so she's staying put. And I hate that. I said, well, you, when I found out, I said, well, you've been kissing on me. You shouldn't be doing that if you're getting sick. But she's getting sick, but... um, Pray for her and pray. We're going to pray for Carmen here in just a little bit. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself as much as preaching to you. Before, before just seeing something and accepting it as truth, why not dive into this? Because this is absolutely the truth. You can trust this. And I was doing a little reading. My, my one study Bible I have at the house has so much neat stuff in it. I could just stay in it. Archaeological finds in the Rosh Shambh, the uh, Ugarit tale that was discovered. This was like 2,000 years before Christ. And all of the biblical stuff that could connect with it that just blew these higher criticism people out of the water. Every archaeological dig has backed this. Has backed it. And of course, the grand find was the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that's a hundred years after these smart aleck Germans decided they would attack the Bible. Now they look a little bit like Charles Darwin's They didn't know what they were talking about because history, though not scientifically proven, history will verify what the contemporary setting was all about. And and the times of biblical history fit right in with archaeological finds. If If you just want to go down an interesting road, just look up the greatest archaeological finds for biblical history. And it's amazing. A lot of these people started digging, like someone dig in the late 1700s, in the 1800s, but it really around 1929, 1926, the University of Pennsylvania was very involved, uh, scientists from Israel. Uh, there was a lot of people curious as to where these ancient cities were. And they even uncovered Ur, 
the home area of Abraham. Even though it was, it was completely wiped out by drought and, uh, and probably some, some military hostilities. But they uncovered it. I mean, clay tablets and stuff. It's just stuff. It's, there's so much material there. And I just want to tell you, there, there is absolutely, you can put trust in this book. And I want to caution you, you can't put trust too much in sources today when it comes to current events, when it comes to explaining things. And that's this thing we need to guard ourselves that we don't get pulled in to those, that we're not the, the gullible women that he referred to, that we are open to vulnerability because somebody appeals to something that we find curious. And here we go off and... And we copy and paste it. It is not true. Copy and paste this all you want to. Because it's true. And let's encourage each other. Encourage it in our home. That when we read First and Second Timothy. By the way. Truth. Aletheia. Is found six times in Second Timothy. Think about this. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, three short epistles. Truth is found 17 times. Why do you think that is? Anybody want to take a stab? I mean, it's all subjective, and I've got my own opinion. But 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, written late in John's life. Well, what do you remember about 1st John? What, he, what the church was dealing with. The spirit of Antichrist. Was, was the people were coming in. He says, people are coming into our fellowship that's not of us. And it's almost as though during the early years of Christianity, there was not these challenges to their faith. But as people started changing things and saying, no, that's not what Jesus said, and that's not what he meant. He meant this. Then you have these writers, 17 times, Aletheia is, is mentioned in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These are very short epistles. Why? Because the church was being challenged in its teaching and in its ideas. And, and John was saying, if you want to know the truth, you stay close to the original message of Jesus. Because those that are coming are of the spirit of Antichrist. And they're, infil- they're trying to infiltrate the church. Don't let it happen to you. And I, I think... Choose your authors carefully, who you read, carefully. Yeah, there's some people I'm not going to read. Just not. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You can figure it out. But when I see a lot of it, oh, I'm not reading that. If I'm going to spend time reading something, <laughs> I want to be pretty sure that I can trust what I'm reading. Because I only have so much time to read. And I'm not going to read something I think is a waste of time. I want to read something that speaks to my heart and helps me to become more closer to the Lord and a love for Him and a desire to serve Him. And I'll tell you what, that, that DVD fired me up. Man, what a, what a great rendering of a great man. He died at the age of 57. Preached 40 years. Died at the age of 57. And 
untold thousands and thousands of people came to faith through him.